Hey guys, looking for some new custom apparel for your next business bonding retreat, your next rush event, or to thank your employees with some new swag? Check out sunshinefits.com. Specializing in custom t-shirts, hoodies, masks, and hats, Sunshine Fits is the best place to get all of your clothing needs at the absolute best price. Nationwide shipping is available. Use the promo code PICKUPTHEBLITZ for 10% off your first order. Check out sunshinefits.com or email service at gmail.com for bulk prices. Sunshine Fits, put a little sunshine in what you wear. Before we dive on into football, we want to thank the sponsor of today's episode, Southern Cigar Co. Southern Cigar Co. is a premium cigar subscription service founded with the goal of connecting cigar lovers around the world with nothing but the best smokes. Heading into a cigar shop and choosing from a vast selection can be a daunting task. Southern Cigar Co. has developed a service that takes away the worry and the hassle while providing you with premium cigars every single month. For under $40 per month and free shipping within the United States, Southern Cigar Co. will ship four of their finest cigars right to your door, with the first box of every subscription including a triple torch lighter, a double guillotine cutter, a Boveda humidity pack, and an informational card displaying everything you need to know about your newest cigars. There's no better pairing to Sunday football and your favorite bottle of beer or glass of scotch than one of Southern Cigar Co.'s top-of-the-line smokes. The world's best cigar subscription would make the perfect gift for the cigar lover in your life. Head to southerncigarco.com and enter promo code PUTB for 10% off your first order. Again, that's southerncigarco.com and enter promo code PUTB for 10% off your first order. And now, on to the football. Bonjour, hello, and happy Monday, everybody. Welcome to the Pick the Blitz podcast, the show where a guy and his former high school history teacher talk a lot of football and very little about history. I'm Justin Heyer, here with Nick Bellotta. We are live on the Locker Room app, the audio-only sports community platform where players, scouts, reporters, analysts, and us podcasters, fans as well, all come together to talk sports Obviously, on this show, we're talking football, so we'll have some people filtering through in and out of the room. And today is our NFL Draft Recap episode. Nick and I are going to talk all of our favorite draft moments, the drafts that we thought went the best, the ones that went the worst, cough, cough, Houston Texans. And uh, we'll be giving you all of our notes on uh, on all our picks, of course, us being South Florida Dolphins fans. We'll be talking some Dolphins-specific stuff as well. So, Nick, as usual, I will toss to you what we're what were your some your draft highlights? Maybe a couple of the uh, the teams that you thought did the best, and why? Don't steal any of mine. Uh, am I allowed? Because so I don't want to <laughs> necessarily start with the Dolphins, but I I genuinely feel uh, they should be um, up there, even even from a non biased perspective that they had a good draft. Like if you looked at what this team needed, um, and and uh, just kind of saw how the draft played out for them, they hit with the three of their first four picks. They hit. Uh, huge needs on the roster uh, with, I'm sorry, with, no, four of their first, I would say, they were yeah, four, all four, four first picks. Yeah, yeah, four for four. I, sorry, I got, I forgot about Javon Holland there for a second for some reason. Um, but four for four, I think, was an incredible haul uh, to find, you know, four potential starters in four picks is pretty impressive. 
Uh, the only pick that I thought was a little bit questionable, but was Hunter Long, just because uh, it, it's not an area of need, especially this season. Now that I know, I know there's a lot of speculation as to uh, what the futures of Durham Smythe and Mike Kosicki are uh, following this offseason, but you don't know what that's going to entail. You had an option to take a running back at, in that third in that third round, or a Quinn Miners in that third round. I didn't like that pick, but even the two developmental guys they got in the seventh, I thought were great decisions. I thought were very solid picks. So I think Miami's draft definitely sticks out as one of the top drafts in uh, across the league. And again, that's not from a biased perspective. Yeah, there's this uh, this draft chart that's floating around Reddit where uh, a fantastic person by the name of Renee Bugner uh, put together 18 drafts, uh, 18 sites, football sites. Oh yeah, and compiled all the draft grades and gave uh, each team a GPA. Miami's fifth on that list, so uh, they Miami has uh, like 14 out of their 18 grades here are A minuses or A. So you're not alone uh, in, in in thinking that Miami had a great draft. They really did. Um, obviously Waddle and Phillips are probably the two highest upside. It's probably the highest upside first round any team had. Uh, obviously there, there are some concerns on both, but really strong picks there. The Javon Holland pick, Brian Flores was over the moon with this pick. It's kind of looked like he did after the team drafted Raekwon Davis last year, where he was just smiling ear to ear, super excited to talk about this prospect uh, at the press conference afterwards. Liam Eikenberg is a plug-and-play starting tackle that they got in the middle of the second round and traded up for. And even on that day three, sending away their fifth and getting a fourth back straight up next year, that's phenomenal value. It doesn't really move. get much, much better than that you know, in terms of, in terms of straight-up value. And um, I didn't mind the Hunter long pick. I know a lot of people weren't thrilled, especially you, know, you and I were talking, because Quinn Miners and uh, several running backs were on the board. But Hunter Long, you generally don't find complete tight ends in the third round. And by complete, I mean someone who is a very capable blocker and sure. a very capable pass catcher at the same time. And I'm not exaggerating. This is a guy that was leading in several tight end categories uh, for his division. So I I was happy with this pick because if Mike Kosecki does price himself out of the Dolphins' salary cap range next year, hopefully by then Hunter Long is ready to step in. And, and take over that starting job. So I, do you ideally want to get someone who could maybe start for you this year? Yes, but it's the middle of the third round, and you're getting someone who will very likely be a contributor for several years to come. So uh, I didn't mind that, that pick either. I'll, I'll, take us over to, uh, I'll take us over to the Chargers. I was really, really impressed by what the Chargers did in this draft. I think the Rashawn Slater pick was potentially the best value even to be had in the sure. first round. Rashawn Slater was, by some accounts, the best lineman in this class. I know most people had Sewell, but um, this is why he didn't let up like a single freaking sack in his college career. Asante Samuel's a great second-round pick. The only potential questionable pick, I think, in their entire draft class was Josh Palmer in the third round. Most people had several other receivers higher, like um, Amon St. Brown and a couple others that, that went afterwards, but I, I really liked most of this draft class. I think Trey McGiddy will end up uh, contributing for them. Uh, once Jared Cook is done with his one-year deal, I liked uh, I liked Chris Rumpf as well, Edge, in the fourth round. I, I was very impressed with what the Chargers did. Their, their two picks, though, uh, in the second round, certainly leading the charge here. Yeah, I think that, I think that's a great, uh, a great draft to, to go to. I also, you know, if we're still on this trend of which drafts we liked a whole lot, I like Chicago's a lot, too. Um, you know, Hard to uh, not. 
hard it, to it, re- it really is because you've you've heard me say it often. Uh, I love Justin Fields, and I think that was a, a bold move for them to to go up and, and get him. But I think it was the right move. Um, and I think again, if you look at the rest of their draft class, I think they've got a lot of um, a lot of very solid. Um, uh, positions that they picked there with Tevin Jenkins, right? Uh, um, Newsom, uh, the the wide receiver they picked up late, yeah. uh, a little bit later, all great picks. I think I think what Chicago did was they they recognized a lot of areas of need uh, and and addressed. I think I think that Justin Fields pick is going to. I think he should start day one, and I think that's going to make them ultra competitive in that division because they still got a pretty good defense and if Tevin Jenkins is anything of what he uh, what he was billed to be I think he might have been even a steal a little bit later he was what a second round pick he would have been uh, a bit of a steal for them because if he was you know a lot of people had him going in the first round so um I loved what Chicago did too and this was potentially before I I finish that I would like to just go back and readdress because you never gave me a chance to jump in sure. on the Hunter Long conversation, and I have to say something about that. Yeah, I recognize it. it's important to draft someone for later. That's why you wait until later. Miami has already six tight ends on the roster. They did. They don't need more tight ends. It was a for me. If you need a starter, why are we looking at the position where you have so many starters? I'll leave it at that. All right. I. I uh... I, I don't necessarily agree, but I, I don't want to necessarily. I don't want to beat that that point to death. I, I do want to say I'm so, Chicago. Yeah. No, no, no. I, you can you can draft all the offensive and defensive linemen that you want, but you don't need that many tight ends on a roster, especially when you gave what's his name, uh, Catham, a six million dollar deal in the off season. I'm not even sure. I don't. Even, I was thinking about that afterwards because they have Smite, they have Shaheen, they have Gasecki, obviously, and now Hunter Long. They're probably not keeping five tight ends. I don't think I'm assuming Carter's going to be billed as a fullback. Uh, otherwise, it just doesn't it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And I think it'll be used as a fullback and on special teams. But uh, it is when you got a guy who can't snap the ball on your roster, and then you got a guy who can snap the ball available to pick in the third round. I don't know. Quinn Miners is not a day one starter. I don't want to. Let's not get it confused. This is, this is not a day Hunt, one starter. Neither Hunter Long's probably not going to be. He, no, no, I agree. Starter. I'm just saying I don't think they were passing up a day one starter for a, uh, a guy who could maybe start in the second round, because I don't think Quinn Miners is a day one. You're not coming from Wisconsin-Whitewater uh, with uh, – he, he's a phenomenal run blocker, not necessarily as clean in pass protection and, and, and technique, but I, a guy I wanted. I was, I was screaming for him in the third round, but I just don't want to get that confused. That's all. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, we don't we don't disagree very often, so it's fun it's fun to it's fun to disagree. On your on, on your Chicago, Chicago point, yes. yeah, Taven Jenkins could have gone to the first round easily. Justin Fields, uh, there's nothing more to be said other than that was a phenomenal move, and this was a job saving draft by um, Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy because these are two guys that should this year not go well probably would have been fired before the year was even over, and now. If this draft goes well, they have jobs there for a long time because I'm assuming you want to keep your quarterback with the coach that is able to develop him. So if Matt Nagy is able to develop him, and this roster is certainly well enough to uh, strong enough to make the playoffs, uh, this is a job-saving draft by them. So I was very impressed. I like that you highlighted Newsom. That was a steal for them in the sixth round for sure. My guess is that we're going to have Andy Dalton start the first couple of games. But very quickly, Justin Fields is going to show out in practice. And if even if they're winning, just like Trubisky was winning last year, I could very easily see Matt Nagy saying, okay, 
we're winning, Andy, but I'm sorry. Our ceiling is higher with Justin Fields, and this is a team, a defense that is ready to go far in the playoffs, and Justin Fields takes over, let's say, midway through the season. That's that's my estimation here, and a great draft. Great, great choice. Yeah, I, I, I love the draft, like I said. And, uh, you know, we could disagree on when Fields should start, um, but uh, I think he's going to play next season, and I think – I. I I don't know why, like I've said it to you many times. I know Maxwell, who's actually in the room listening, he's heard me say it too, probably once or twice. I don't know what the deal with everyone being so low on Justin Fields is, but, um, you know, because, you know, it's one of those guys where, to me, you know, he looks like he's going to be a pretty good quarterback. So I think they're going to go to him pretty early, and I think he's going to have a good career in Chicago. I'm going to pick another C team here in the Cleveland Browns. I mean, Great there's... Draft. There's very little to dislike about this draft class. We all know that they, uh, Jeremiah Usukoromoa fell to them. My, my dad was so tired of hearing that name by the middle of the second round because I kept reminding <laughs> me of three picks in that span. I was watching my dad and, and my little brother uh, back at my parents' house, and I was like, oh, my God, like, why are we passing? I was ready to take him at 18. I was ready to take him again at 36 and then again at 42. Like, what yep. is happening? And it just came out today from Adam Schefter that he has a heart condition that teams were not necessarily comfortable with in terms of taking him in the first round or high in the second, which is why he fell. But my goodness, is that a steal for Cleveland if he pans out, God willing, he's healthy. Greg Newsom was a great pick there at 26. That was uh, about the range he was projected in, maybe even a little higher. I think in one of our mock drafts, I had him uh, to Chicago there around 20. And uh, then Schwartz there from Auburn, I think, is a great compliment to what they have in Allen Robinson and Darnell Mooney if he ends up cracking the starting lineup and beating out um, beating out Anthony Miller. So I was very excited about – oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm mixing teams. I'm mixing teams. I'm still talking Chicago and Ron Cleveland to uh, Jarvis and Odell if he's able to beat out Donovan Peoples-Jones in, uh, in Cleveland. So I was, I was very excited there uh, from what the Browns did. Yeah, I loved it with the Browns. And like you said, I think just getting JOK in the second round the way they did was the steal of the draft. Assuming he can stay healthy, you know, uh, coming out with a heart condition, that's a big deal. But um, assuming he is good to go, I think the value of that pick is just outstanding. Probably the probably the biggest steal of the draft, uh, at least up there, right? So do we want to yeah. go – do you want to transition to terrible drafts? Yeah, yeah, go for it. About, I'm very tight. Why in God's name – did the Las Vegas Raiders draft three safeties? <laughs> what when you've already got Carl Joseph and Jonathan Abram on the roster? Why in God's name did you draft three safeties? Now I know there was some conversation about Divine Diablo, which, by the way, great name. Divine Diablo yes. playing kind of like a, a a linebacker spot, right? Maybe you know, because he's kind of like one of those players that can kind of go in between the positions. But I just don't get why you would get. I I, I just don't understand it. Three sa- we were, I was just bashing Miami for taking a tight end when they had tight end. Miami has, or I'm sorry, uh, Vegas had solid safeties on the roster. I don't understand why you went and got three more of them. You know, it's just it's just a couple drafts in a row now where I just what is going on in in Vegas? What is going on with the Raiders? Because they're like it seems like they're just not paying attention sometimes. And, and I know that's like that's mean of me to say. They obviously do significantly more uh, research than you and I have ever done. But I think just the idea of drafting three safeties when you've already got a starting safety, albeit he was injured a little bit last year, but you've already got one spot. Like you got three guys competing for one spot. 
when you definitely have needs on the roster. Now, now on the flip side of that, I think Malcolm Kuntz was actually a great pick. He was a guy that I wrote about a long time ago, um, maybe like February. I did a piece on uh, late round kind of small school prospects, and I thought he was going to be a very good player. So I liked Kuntz. But then, then you compliment it with Alex Leatherwood, who is why are you taking what many in the world regard as the fourth best tackle before any of the other ones go off the board? It's just the the Vegas Raiders, I think, are still confused in whether they're Vegas or in Oakland, and that's and that's just kind of where the problem started. And now they're just picking safeties. I guarantee you, they pick at least two more safeties next year. It just it, it didn't make a whole lot of sense. And Gruden came out and said, "No, Leatherwood is a plug and play tackle." He's, he's right there on our board. It almost seems like Mayock and Gruden um, refuse to go off their board, which is why they took three safeties. And also their board is nuts. Like it just – it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Derisaw was still there. Taven Jenkins was still there. Both guys that were almost from every scout and analyst uh, rated ahead of Alex Leatherwood. This is, a, this is a mountain of a man, but was by no means the most polished tackle on the board. The upside is there. Again, he's a huge human being that is very difficult to get around. But in terms of technique and polish, was by no means the, the top tackle on the board. I don't get the three safeties. The value of Trayvon Morig was fantastic. It was. It was great. It was. It was. And I was surprised he was the third safety off the board. But did but, they trade up to get him? Uh, they may have tra- uh I am not 100 percent sure if they traded up to get him so, at 43. Uh, probably so, yes, considering it was on. at 43. Yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go look. Hold on. Keep keep talking. I want to find this out. Yeah, no, I I think they did, but you check. I I like the pick in terms of value, and I I don't mind taking a starting safety when you already have two. A lot of these defensive backs are versatile. Miami has Bobby McCain and Eric Rose starting safeties, and they took Jeff on Holland, but. And so you remember, you could plug a guy in a nickel. You could still find a way to use these guys. But then by following it up with two more safeties in the next two rounds just did not make a whole lot of sense to me. And and honestly, Traylon Morgan seemed to be the only solid value pick, maybe Divine Diablo, but that's about where he was projected. So I was just – I was also not thrilled with this draft. Yeah, I, I, think, I think it was a mistake. I'm trying to find what exactly compensation they gave up to move up. But regardless – they spent upwards of four plus picks on safeties yeah. by giving up the, the picks that they had to go get Morig. And I, I like Morig. I thought he could have been in the first round. But don't you – four to five picks on safeties. What are we doing, guys? And I get yeah. the versatility thing. I understand it, especially, like you said, Miami did the same thing. But they got one. They got yeah. one safety. And there's a lot of speculation, and you and, by, by, and I will probably both agree on this, Bobby McCain is probably likely going to be a post-June first cut, right? That means that this was obviously a position of need, and you replace it. Like, are you going to get rid of John? You just got Abram. What are you going to do with him? You just got him. And when he's on the field, it's pretty good. It, make it just it, it, it didn't make a lot of sense to me. Their whole roster-building philosophy doesn't – this is the same team that signed Kenny and Drake to a substantial contract when they have Josh Jacobs. Like, I, we're, uh, honestly, Mike Mayock, by – this time two years from now, maybe back on the NFL Network draft panel as opposed to yeah. running. Because they can't fire Gruden, but they can fire Mayock. So I, it, just, it doesn't, really doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And, and to, to, to wrap all this up, the, uh, the Raiders did not lose any picks. They just swapped picks in the back end of the, of the draft. So it was to only three picks more. on safety. Still excessive. Still excessive. Yeah. By, about two, by about two and a half picks. Anywho, what do you like? 
Yeah, I'm, I'm going to bring us over to the Rams. Now, Houston, it's, oh. it's you know, I, we'll save Houston for last. I know it's difficult to have a great draft when you never have a first-round pick, and so I'm not necessarily going to fault them for that because obviously the Matthew Stafford edition, the Jalen Ramsey edition, these were, these were big pieces to their team, so I'm not necessarily faulting them for not having the first-round pick. I did not love the drafting of Tutu Atwell in the second round. I don't really know. Like when you when you're in the second round, you generally want to get someone who's going to start or start pretty quickly. That's not happening here. Cooper Cup and Robert Woods are signed to significant, substantial contracts going out several years. You just brought in Deshaun Jackson and Van Jefferson, who you took at the same spot last year, played sparingly but played well last year. And so you would presume that he's going to come in now that Josh Reynolds is gone and be that third receiver sort of in tandem with. Deshaun Jackson, you essentially got a and, – and Tutu Atwell, very fun to watch. He's 149 pounds. This is not someone who could play every down football. He's 12 pounds smaller than I am. Like, come on. I, yeah. I, I did not necessarily get that pick. The rest of their draft was just okay. Um, there were a couple of interesting picks, Bobby Brown and the DL in the fourth round, um, and then Ernest Brown edge round five, potentially guys that are going to contribute on defense. But uh, I was just not – not entirely thrilled with this Rams draft. No, I, I wasn't either. And I think I think you hit the nail on the head to steal your uh, phrase. Um, Tutu Atwell made no sense. N- no sense because, again, it, it's, you know, and it's just if you got all these players on your roster, what are we doing drafting more, right? I just, if you got needs in your roster, the Rams clearly have needs on their roster, do you feel like they address those needs going into it, right? We can say that we feel that way about Cleveland about Chicago. I can't say I feel that way about Los Angeles or or Houston, right, which is the other one that we were kind of alluding to there a second ago. Yeah. Yeah, I, to get a gadget guy slash kick returner who's 149 pounds in the second round, I, I, I don't, I don't oh, think much, what are we doing, guys? much more needs to be said. No. Houston, okay, so thoughts on the Davis Mills pick. Let's start there. Honestly, Listen, it's one of those things was, I honestly looked at that and I was like, eh. That was my probably my exact reaction is, eh. Like, okay, you clearly don't think Deshaun Watson is in your future. That sucks for you. Um, you know, everything that's going on, your your future has kind of – first it was the him wanting to get out, now all these uh, allegations against him. You, like, I think it was a good idea to draft a potential replacement, right? Was Davis Mills the best guy to do it? Don't necessarily know if that's the case. Should Houston have been more aggressive in moving up to try and get somebody? Maybe, uh, right? There, there wasn't a lot of quarterback action going on before no. they, you know, they got to that pick. Anyway, I think it was fine uh, for me. I think it, it was whatever. It wasn't. It wasn't a, a jaw dropping. Oh my god, pick. It wasn't like a hey, he's probably gonna light the world on fire pick. No, and he doesn't necessarily have the best supporting cast with which to do so, but. That that aside, so when that pick came in, I don't know if you're on ESPN or NFL Network, but Rich Eisen on NFL Network went on a bit of a rant saying <laughs> the, the phrase, what is going on, like 10 times in a row before he finally let the panelists around him comment on this pick, because I think it just underscores the, like, what the hell is ha- what is What is Houston's plan? What do they think is going to happen at quarterback? Do they think Deshaun Watson's going to come back? Does this have any bearing on what they think about Deshaun Watson and his situation? Or is this, this you know, just providing themselves some insurance, new regime, their own quarterback? Uh, 
it, it raises a lot of interesting questions. Like, do they think Deshaun Watson is ever going to play in Houston again? Do they think he's even going to be able to play quarterback this year? If he is, do they think he's going to report? If he does report, is he just going to come to camp and then sit out the year so he doesn't get fined? Or is he actually going to potentially play football? Is he going to come back and keep his trade request? And if they finally can trade him, is any team going to be even interested in trading for him for a substantial haul at this point? And then all of that said, do they think Davis Mills is going to be the guy to replace him? It brings all of those questions back to light. So, Justin, let me ask you a question about Houston. Think of their roster for a second. What are the areas on Houston's roster that aren't problematic? Uh, very left few. tackle. Left tackle. Tunsil, yeah. Thank, thank you, Houston. What else? Maybe wide receiver. No, running back. They, they, they're okay at running back. They've got, they've got like three starting running backs. Okay. And David um, Johnson, Phil Lindsay, and Mark So Ingram. running backs, anything else jump to your mind? That, that's about it. That's about it. That's about it, okay? There's not really a yeah. whole lot else. Why are we giving up three picks to move up to pick a receiver? Right? Uh, you're talking about Nico Collins. I'm talking about Nico Collins. What are we doing here, guys? Right? You, you, have, you have needs across your – and listen, I understand that you're probably not going to get studs at every spot in the fourth, fifth, sixth round, right? You're, it, it's very unlikely that's going to happen. But when you have so many roster holes, I don't – like to go and get a receiver in the third round – I just don't think that was – I think that was kind of like a, a bonehead move. You you sacrificed what little draft capital you had to go and get a receiver who I, – I just looked up his stats, 78 catches in three years. Yeah, has never produced. What's has never going produced. on, guys? The what only pick I liked in this draft was Brevin, Brevin Jordan, Jordan who obviously as a Hurricane I've seen plenty of, and I did not understand why he was like the eighth tight end or ninth tight end off the so board. can't that block. No sense. Yeah. But there are a lot of tight ends who uh, were picked that, that can't block or can't catch. One of the two that are one that are you know <laughs> that are one one area specialists. And even though he is very much that, um, I didn't understand it because he is a pretty dangerous weapon uh, in in the past game. So didn't didn't totally get get that there. But uh, that aside, good, I, I you know a good not pick. a great draft. Yeah, good pick, not a great draft. In fact, they were rated bottom on the 18 uh, dra- amalgamated uh, draft grade GPA scale from uh, from this Reddit chart. So that, they were that dead last. They, they got an F minus from Fansided. An <laughs> F minus. I didn't know that was a grade that is given out, but they got an F minus. I don't know what Listen, that equates I, to GPA wise. Like a three. Yeah. No, no, like a point zero three, like a three out of one hundred. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I figured, I figured. I just wanted to clarify. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's let's go back to one of the biggest headlines that surrounded the draft, and we can go back to individual picks and such after. Um, this whole Aaron Rodgers situation, which hung over the entirety of the draft, right? On draft day, comes out that Rodgers uh, may no longer be playing in Green Bay. He might not be telling. He might be telling his teammates that he's not coming back to Green Bay. Suddenly, teams are, as they're prepping for the draft, trying to trade for Aaron Rodgers at the very last second. The 49ers called before they picked Trey Lance. The Broncos are apparently in play. The Raiders are apparently in play. And now it comes out today (laughs) that Rodgers wanted more input in personnel decisions. And the nail in the coffin was when they cut Jake Kumaro, who no one knows. But they cut wide receiver Jake Kumaro after Rodgers publicly praised him. And that was it. He was like, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm done with this team. 
I'm done with this management. Uh, there was even one report that said they gave him an ultimatum, fire Brian Gutekinds or I'm not coming back. No one really knows what's going on. Rodgers didn't really say much when they interviewed him at the Kentucky Derby. What are your thoughts on this wild situation? Well, I mean, I feel like it's not surprising, you know, with the the discontent that really originated last year when they took Jordan Love in the first round. I think I think this is just kind of the culmination of that. It makes a lot of sense. Um, and I feel like the Packers draft didn't necessarily help this situation, um, at least with that first pick. You know, I think Josh Myers might have been actually a pretty good pick for them um, if he can, you know, uh, if he can develop well. Um, but, I mean – I don't know if if I'm Aaron Rodgers, if I'm one of the best quarterbacks to ever play the game to, to play the game in a way that other people didn't know you could play the, the game in right. Different, a different version of the game till Patrick Mahomes showed up and blew that out of the water. You, you gotta, you gotta talk to him when it comes to making some personnel decisions. Now, do I think he needs to be the GM? No. Right. But if he's saying, Hey, I need receiving help. I like this guy. You cut him and then you go get a corner in the first round. Like, Okay, you clearly don't care about what I have to say. And while while Matt LaFleur can go on ESPN and all these – you guys already were trying to move on from Aaron Rodgers. You don't draft Jordan Love as early as you did last year to to with the mindset that he's going to sit for five, six years. You've already started the ball rolling with that pick. Aaron Rodgers has at least three or four good years left in him, I think, right, especially coming off the season he had last year. Go to Denver. Go to Denver, finish out your career the Peyton Manning style, win a championship, prove everybody wrong, and maybe you can beat Green Bay in the process. Yeah, and they were talking about today how they meeting the NFL media, how the Packers tried to move up for Justin Jefferson, and then they tried to move up for Brandon Ayuk, and then they take Jordan Love. That doesn't matter. The end result is that they took Jordan Love. Right, it doesn't matter what you wanted to do, it's what you did. Exactly. And now you take Eric Stokes, who was by almost all accounts a third-round cornerback in the first round. You finally take Amari Rodgers at, at a Clemson at round three, and that's great. But the damage to that relationship is done. Now, the interesting thing here is I kind of think the Packers have more leverage than most teams would in this situation. Like, let's say the Seahawks would have if Russell Wilson actually decided that he wasn't going to come back or that Houston did, because they do have a player who is the presumed heir. None of us know if he's actually going to be that, but presumably the front office believes in Jordan Love. So they could say, listen, we're, we're, our team is built to win a championship, and we certainly have an astronomically higher ability, uh, higher ability to do so if Rodgers is playing quarterback, but we're not going to cape. And Aaron, go host Jeopardy. We'll bring Jordan Love in to start. And that'll be the end of your playing career because they have that they have that ability to to do that here. If they decide that they're not willing to cave to a player's demands, they don't want to start that kind of trend. They don't want to show that kind of face, and they don't want to trade a Hall of Fame MVP quarterback when they don't want to. I, 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 they have more leverage than at least you know the Seahawks. Or Texas did. It doesn't mean they have more leverage than Aaron, but they certainly have more than most teams in this situation. Oh, no, I, I completely agree with you on that, but uh, I completely agree with you on that. Um, but it, I don't know. This whole situation is it, it just it just bothers me. You know, uh, this is a team that clearly they they're saying all these things, but they're not they're, um What's the saying? 
You got to walk the walk and talk the talk, right? Or whatever it is, you know, they're talking all <laughs> we'll these go with things that. on the, you know, whatever it is. I don't, I can't think of it off the top of my head. I don't know why, but they're, they're saying all these things about how Aaron's the greatest and we don't want Aaron to go. Well then show him, actually show him that you trust him. Don't draft his replacement before he's uh, close to like the, the bucks taking Kyle Trask. Tom Brady's 40,000 years old. Okay. It's time to take a quarterback with the hope that in three years, Brady retires. Right. Rodgers was not that old and he was still playing at an elite level and moving at an elite level. Right. So you can't there's no there's no there's no logic behind that move. Right. Cutting all these guys, moving on, taking the ball out of his hands in that playoff game. Right. In that NFC championship game. It just it just shows me that you don't trust this guy. Which makes no sense. Which makes no sense. Like, listen, you know, you and I were talking about Deshaun Watson wanting to have some some. some uh, not not control, but some say over different uh, personnel decisions before everything blew up with him, right? And him being angry at Houston. We, we you and I talked about this, and I think I said like he should get a little bit. He's your he's your franchise quarterback. You want him to be happy, right? A seat Aaron at the Rogers, table. A seat at the right, table. You, Aaron Rodgers deserves a much larger seat at said table. Not only is he uh, a franchise quarterback, he's a Super Bowl winner and MVP. And he consistently brings your team to these championship games, and then you stop trusting him to win. So it, it just makes no sense to me why you're just giving him the cold shoulder. It's one thing to give, you know, the third string quarterback the cold shoulder. But last time I checked, that ain't Aaron Rodgers. Green Bay's organization, it, it, they, I think they have messed up big time. Um, I think what solidifies how much they've messed up and how sucky they're handling this is the fact that we heard after this draft from, I think it was Ian Rappaport, that the Bucks told Brady we are targeting a quarterback at some point during this draft. The Vikings told Kirk Cousins we are targeting a quarterback at some point during this draft. And that was almost Justin Fields. They ended up getting Kellen Mond. No one told Rodgers before the Jordan Love pick that they might be targeting a quarterback in this draft, never mind a first-round quarterback. So it, it's such a lack of communication. It's the same thing that Houston did with Deshaun Watson and telling him that he'd have a seat at the table and then not actually giving him uh, even an ear. So that's that's what really underscores for me how poorly they're handling yep. the situation. You know, if you were to if you were to guess, how do you see this playing out at this point? And then I want to bring uh, David up here in the chat who requested to come up and talk to us. I I think Aaron Rodgers is not going to play for Green Bay. I think it, it, I don't know how it's going to be this season, um, but I think long, long, you know, uh, term. I think he's going to go out to Denver uh, and and play out there. David, thank you so much for for joining the show. What are your thoughts on this whole situation here? Yeah, I just want to echo what Nick was saying about what a crime of mismanagement is taking place in Green Bay when you have a franchise quarterback, a Hall of Famer, someone who defines the identity and culture of your team, part of what goes along with that, in addition to his paycheck, is a certain amount of deference. And it doesn't mean that they make personnel decisions, but that means that they have a seat at the table. It would be perfectly acceptable when you have an Aaron Rodgers on your team and you are entering the off season to invite him to the coaches meetings where we are discussing the personnel on, on the team and where we are planning on going with the off season to get his input about what he sees and what he's experienced on the team and what he sees as 
you know, needs and wants for the team. When you are discussing, like, player prospects, bringing him into the loop isn't the same thing as letting him make a decision. But just that simple courtesy will go a long way to alleviating these concerns. I don't think he's threatened in any way that they went over and they they drafted Reggie Love in the first round. It's his team. It's his locker room. It's it's going to be his position as long as he wants it. The the issue here is that decisions are being made about his life and his team without his involvement and he has earned a seat at the table. And I think other teams are learning from the bad example that Green Bay has set in the in in the respect that they're giving a courtesy nod to inform quarterbacks when they're looking at other other players. But I think you could go a step further without shaking up, you know, the way that business is done in the NFL. I think it's well yeah. put. I think it's well put. I mean, hundred percent. I agree with you, David. Hundred percent. That's perfectly said. I, I, yeah. do, I do think teams are learning, hence Minnesota talking to Cousins and Tampa Bay talking to Tom. And you're so right. It's not necessarily that these quarterbacks like a Rodgers or a Russell Wilson are saying, hey, I want to put the GM hat on. It's just it, – it's it's honestly – it's like emotional intelligence. Make, if you know that these guys are prideful, competitive people who've earned the limelight that they've been in, who've earned the respect that they have from the locker room and from coaches and from other players – Show them that they earned that. Like, give you know, show them that little bit of respect, and you don't lose anything from it. It's almost like these GMs and, and maybe even the coaches are, are too proud to to defer. But you're not you're not deferring your job. You're just like like you said, David, showing that deference, that respect for someone who's earned that place that they've gotten to. Especially and, and when not, you're a new and he's not in his twenties anymore. He's not in his twenties right. anymore. He has been a professional in this league. And he is now a career professional. He has insight into how the game is currently being played, and he has perspective of how it used to be played. And he understands how the organization and its identity is constructed. Like, he has something to offer, and to recognize that is a very small recognition. It's kind of like when, you know, you don't always have to promote somebody. Sometimes just like, you know, acknowledging what they mean in your organization and inviting them to a HR meeting and asking their opinion is enough recognition for them to know that, you know, their contribution has been meaningful and it's appreciated. And I think when people put in the time, like it's a small thing, it's a very, very small thing and it will go a long way, you know, when the NFL catches up to what the rest of the business world has known for a long time. I think yeah, it's well said. I think I think it's well said. And you know, uh, to Justin, what your point was, what 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 is it, what's the pro- what what does this do? What is the right. negative that comes from bringing Rogers in on these conversations? Please tell me. Exactly. Where is nothing? That? Oh, that's right. There is no negative. That's right. No, exactly. And, and, and let's not forget, Aaron Rodgers isn't wrong. They need wide receiver help. They need <laughs> offensive line help. They need a tight end. Like they need all of that help on the offensive side of the board. And but then they get a corner. And they squander their picks. Like, their first rounds, like, all of them are just wait. It's like they intentionally were kind of, like, thumbing their nose at them like they're children. You yeah, know, like, Sean Gary, and then Jordan Love, and then uh, like, now Eric Stokes. It's just, it's an, it's an odd use of resources when every, every sign is pointing to some very obvious choices. 
I mean, if, if we went over to Aaron Rodgers and said, what do you think our top priority is? Offensive line, wide receiver, defensive line. And he went over and said, oh, I really think we need a cornerback. And then you go over and you, uh, you address the cornerback. Even though you didn't address the offense, he would have felt heard, you right. know. And if he sure. had said, like, oh, I really think we need an offensive lineman. And then instead of taking Eric Stokes, you went over and you take a Redunds or you take a Tevin Jenkins. Or, like, there were great players available at – Value and positions, all the positions of you needed. Yep. And so, it was David, like before were, we before yeah. we let you go, where do you think this ends up now? Where, where do you what do you think happens here with Aaron Rodgers? Uh, on, honestly, I think it's going one of two ways. I think they're either paying him and making him like the highest paid quarterback of all time to get him to <laughs> resign, because I oftentimes think like you know money will end up having to be the sign of respect that they could have avoided. They could have gotten him, you know, he's probably perfectly happy with the money that he's making and all he needed was just like some deference, you know, and that would have been enough. And, and, you know, demonstrate to him that you're trying to win, you know, probably would have been enough. You know, he understands what the money situation is, but now I just think the only way out is money. Like they're going to have to make him like the highest paid quarterback or something. And then he would probably stay. And if they don't get him to come back, do you think this is a trade scenario or a Aaron? Sorry, we're not trading you. Jordan Love, go host Jeopardy scenario. See, even even that he should have been involved with. They should have said, like, listen, we're not like other NFL franchises. We don't have the corporate like money behind us the way other places do. You know, we have to start to think of a transition plan. You know, we would like to kind of like work on that with you. Like, if you want to continue in the league, is there are there teams that you would like to go to? We'd like to organize a trade to be able to do something like that, you know, that works out for you and that would benefit the organization moving forward. If you would like to stay, we would like to like renegade, you know, we'd like to like surround you with the pieces that you need, like whatever. But none of that happened. And at every turn, they're trying to like put a thumb in his eye. So, (laughs) you know, they, they may have burnt the bridge and they need him a lot more than he needs them. I think I think that bridge is well beyond burnt. I think that bridge is destroyed. Someone put some TNT under it and it's gone. Like ultimately, I think, I what, think... what I think is going to happen is they're going to like they're they're going to follow what happens in uh, like with the Patriots. The guy announces his retirement. He leaves the game, and then like three months later, he comes back out of retirement, and now there's a bidding war for him. Yeah, I, I, I see that happening. Uh, I, I could I could definitely see it, but the thing is, if he retires, they might still have his rights. But it, that that whole saga will be so interesting to follow. I honestly think that a lot of it will come down to how it's handled in the public. Whether Rogers ends up coming out and publicly saying in a microphone, uh, "I'm not coming back to Green Bay," and I would like to be traded, and then they're pressured into it by not only the media and their fans, but also you're going to have a bidding war for him at that point. Like they're. I understand that most teams by this point in the year have their quarterback situation figured out, but a lot of teams are going to be willing to exchange whoever they have starting for an Aaron Rodgers, whether it's Denver or Vegas or New Orleans or Carolina or Washington. My guess is they try to you know, ship them out of the NFC, but if someone makes uh, an offer they can't refuse to take the immortal line, then you know they, they might just do it. You go to Denver. Uh, that that seems to, to be the most logical landing spot. It, it really He's does. It, go to Denver. Denver, Denver or Vegas really seems to be the, the the two spots to me that make the most sense because both have quarterbacks that they've uh, shown some sort of willingness to be able to you know think about moving on from certainly Denver more than Vegas, but 
Uh, and both have both are franchises that I think would be willing to go all in. Denver certainly more than a win, though. But would you want would you want to go to Vegas when they just draft forty five safeties? It was apparently on a so. short list, but but after what we mentioned today, uh, maybe not. Maybe I don't think so. <laughs> maybe not. Uh, David, thank you so much uh, for jumping on the show. Uh, very happy to to have you here, um, Nick. Anything else before you want to start wrapping up? No, I got my uh, my Raiders aggression out for today. I'm good. <laughs> we got our fill. All right. Well, uh, everyone who came on to listen live on Locker Room, thank you so much for being here again. David, thank you so much for jumping on and joining the show today. Again, uh, we host live on Locker Room so that we can talk to you guys about all our favorite football things. So make sure if you're listening to this on our podcasting platforms to download the app and join us live on Locker Room next time we go up. We'll keep you posted from our our, uh, our personal Twitter accounts when we're going live on Locker Room, when we're going to be uh, hosting the show. This episode will be available on all your favorite podcasting platforms, wherever you listen to podcasts. And we will be back uh, next week to talk about what we think is going to go down in the NFL offseason. We'll be uh, keeping a post on how our schedule is going to be running throughout the offseason, certainly as we go into these more uh, tired summer months with a little bit less football action and how we're going to run all of our, uh, our shows from there on out. But thank you again very much for listening, and we will see you guys next time. My bold prediction for the offseason is lots of explosions. Thanks, everybody.